all right. We're gonna do it the scan away. I'm gonna suck your brain dry. And yes, this is the Mars Magazine podcast. We're back. This is Adario Strange. And this episode will be a bit different. We're not really going to get too much into the normal tech slash entertainment news. This time we're going to speak primarily about VR, virtual reality. And to do that, I have two friends along with me uh, who are pretty deep, knee deep in the virtual waters uh, that are, uh, you know, quickly developing. We have David Liu. And, Hello. and Rob Ruffler, both from Viacom's VR unit. What's up, dude? Hey, hey man. Going, so Rob's in L.A. and David, you're in New York, too, right? I'm in New York right now. I'm preparing. I'm actually packing uh, for a flight to Austin tomorrow for South by Southwest. But I'm in New York right now. Yeah. Do you, now, do you expect a bunch of stuff, uh, VR stuff at South by? Yeah. I mean, it's going to be pretty amazing this year. Um, I think the virtual cinema that is setting up is going to be the first one they're doing for, like, ever it's it's inaugural one um we you know we, we have a bunch of stuff there as well but it's it's like it's it's gonna be i think it's gonna be pretty it's got a pretty good lineup I, I'm, I'm just gonna throw this in as well like it's it's confusing as well because they also have in addition to film with vr they also have like south by southwest interactive with some vr things so right i'm sure there's a huge gamut of things that we're gonna check out so before we get too deep into things just give folks uh both of you like a general sense of where you're coming from like what your background is with you know, whether it's tech, entertainment, VR, like where you guys came from before you are, you know, started leading uh, Viacom's VR unit. Uh, yeah. So before joining um, Viacom's VR unit, I was uh, heading up the mobile team over at Nickelodeon where we made the, you know, Nick and Nick Jr. apps for iOS and Android. And I've generally worked in media and technology for my entire career. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much <laughs> that's pretty much where I'm coming from and have the good fortune to now be working in VR, which is the most exciting thing to me ever. Yeah, I, so that, I, that was Rob. That was Rob. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm David. I have the unfortunate fortune of working with Rob. Um, <laughs> but but no, 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 uh, he's, he's great. Um, so my background um, is in film. So I'm a recovering filmmaker. Um, well, I, I, was, I was in film for five years, made ads for TV. Um, it quickly just discovered that, you know, like, while film was the most dynamic medium for its time, I just quickly discovered there were other things like games. I went to game design for a couple of years. And then when VR came about and the, D and the first DK1 came about, I was like one of the first people who backed it, uh, dabbled in it, realized I hated it. Um, it was terrible. It was not what, you know, what, what Lawnmower Man sold me. Um, so I quickly dumped it and just went back to games for a while. And um, very quickly after that, just sort of thought that VR was never going to be a thing. Then, um, then, then the Vive came out, and and I dabbled in that. I was like, "Holy crap, some, might be something there." And uh, since then, we've been a VR unit, and um, you know, have been cobbling things together at Viacom. And I should just uh, maybe to give some context from my side. So, I've been writing about VR for a very long time. You know, following people like Jerron Lanier and others who have been, you know, kind of pioneering VR. Um, right. And I also had my hands on the Oculus Development Kit 1, and I've used every version up until the current consumer version. Uh, I also got to test the Vive, but I don't know, for whatever reason, I didn't really get truly excited until the touch controllers came out. And so, oh, no. Yeah, that that's when I, I mean, look, I've been excited about VR for a long time. I've right. been dabbling. I've been, you know, even with the cardboard stuff, 
But it wasn't until the touch controllers came out that I thought, okay, because for me, the interactive, you know, the wands, you know, even with um, the PlayStation uh, VR, you know, those wands are fine, but there's something about those touch controllers that almost mimic your hands in VR that for whatever reason, that's what I've really been waiting for. That's for me, that was like the real benchmark of, okay, now we're doing real VR. So that that's, and that was like what just last year. Um, yeah. What was that? Uh, what was that first experience that you tried with the touch controls that like convinced you? Um, I think it was. It was either medium. You know what? I think it was just Oculus Home at first. And okay. what was the first Vive experience that you tried? Um, I want to say it was something that was experimental, so I can't really remember. It was something that uh, wasn't really big commercial. But I will say the first commercial, like really well-known title uh, on the Vive that blew me away was the um, was a, another fairly recent one was um, Google Earth VR. Like, right. okay. yeah, I found myself cursing, like actually, like, but in a good way, like, like, you know, you know holy <laughs> right. shit. Oh, my God. I mean, right. it, it was the closest thing I could think of to like actually being Superman. Um, right, right. For those That's listening, true. if you haven't tried it, it allows you to th- fly around the world, you know, a 3D version of the world, but you can actually dive down and go down into the map. And it's not a flat map. You see 3D constructs and you can fly around these 3D constructs and you can even change the sun to the moon, you know, day to you night. Can you can drag it. Yeah, yeah you can amazing. drag, the, you know, day to night. And so it's really this like kind of God, you know, people often talk about God view with software, but this is really like a God view experience. And this is like early days. It's only going to get better. You know, I mean, at some point you're going to have a situation where you don't you're not only going to be able to go down into the city and look at, you know, walk between the buildings, but you'll be able to go into the buildings and, you know, and maybe interact with, you know, whatever the companies are there. You know, I mean, it's going to get, it's just the thing that keeps blowing me away about all this stuff is we're still in early days, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. Did you, did you guys hear the, um, the news or did you read the news about the guy with the Gear VR who built um, a cycling app with Google Earth? So essentially he mapped it really, really cleverly using all the sort of panorama scans and he mapped it in a very hype VR style, Rob. Uh, so he's, huh. he could actually cycle on the roads, and it, it looks not bad. And what he does is he builds these like um, floating cubes in the sky to add to make it feel more like it's a 3D environment. And, <laughs> and it, it, it looks pretty damn good. And this guy, like he, I think he 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 cycled 20,000 20, miles and lost like so and so amount of weight just by like cycling around the world. It was it was it was intense. It was great. Now wait, was this in <laughs> London or was this something else? Um, I don't know if it's in London. I know it's not American. Like okay. he's like European or like um Australian, but it, it's it's like just a Gear VR. Like it wasn't even the Vive, but like I mean, it, he probably wasn't using Google Earth on the Vive. But when you talked about that, that was just what I thought about because it's it's true. Like you want to like now VR brings you into essentially uh it allows you to explore the world um in in more ways than one. I would say what I can't help think about is like how disgusting that Gear VR must have been after you <laughs> cycle yes. that distance. You're right. You're right. Oh my god. But, and, this is something I, that people don't seem to think about. With all this like working out, boxing in VR, you know, training in VR, you know, that the, the face, you know, look, we kiss each other's faces and you know, we have pretty faces and you wash your face and all but the faces has some nasty stuff on it. Come on. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> 
Um, so we recently we recently got some like cybusts, which are these mannequin heads to put um, our VR headsets on. And um, what's what we re- what we discovered after that is that after uh, we take them off, we see this sort of oil mark around the, the mannequin, and we're like, we're like, oh, oh. We're like, oh shit, that's a lot of face oil. And I realized, now, like, after seeing that, everyone on our team is just like wearing <laughs> face masks. Like, so funny. Like, I've never seen people so adamant about wearing face masks. Except <laughs> it's like, we need to get to a future where everyone has their own headset so we don't have to deal with these hygiene problems anymore. Well, no, it's hilarious. It's like people don't understand. It's like they'll, you know, if you use someone's mouse or keyboard, you know, even that often feels a little icky. But think about it. We wash our hands. You know, if you're hygienic, you wash your hands several times a day. You wash your face maybe once a day, you know, or <laughs> twice a day when you once when you get up, maybe once when you go to bed. Generally, most people don't wash their face you know, through the course of the day. <laughs> and so, I mean, just sharing these face plates, I, I don't get how people aren't, you know, so I, it, it's interesting. I think the face mask is, that's, that's huge. Um, I actually wrote an article about it and I talked to optometrists. I talked to uh, medical professionals, you know, are there risks here for like transmissions of disease and that kind of thing. And there was, <laughs> there was no definitive answer, but they, the, basically the consensus was, it's not impossible to pick up something, so yeah, if you can wear a face mask, do it. I, I thought you were about to tell us like, oh, it is like a freaking test tube in there with like breeding with like things, and then I well, would no, you. yeah, no. So they they were basically saying like anything that's really going to be contagious or harmful probably won't the life it won't it won't live long enough on that surface. But here's the other thing: that's, we're talking foam, you know, foam yeah, oof, right. moisture, yeah. a nice oof. little. <laughs> little potpourri a little little stew there you know? I, I remember like last year at gdc rob remember when you tried that experience we won't name oh jeez, oh jeez. Oh, <laughs> well let me so that that brings me to this so this is this seems to be the consensus but if you guys disagree please weigh in it seems like the consensus is uh, among the three the uh playstation vr kind of has the the most ergonomic kind of ah this feels like a comfortable thing to wear for a long time the HTC Vive has like the best tracking and just kind of performance and the Oculus Rift has the best controllers. And if there was some amalgam of those three aspects, that would be the sweet spot. Is that do you guys agree with that? I generally agree. I have one qualifier. But Rob, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's I mean, those are the strong suits of the platforms. Right. And I, I mean, I'm just hopeful that uh, all the headset manufacturers are learning from each other and Iteration two and three of these things will just be better and better to the point where we can stop worrying about, you know, ergonomics and form factor and just be more focused on, like, what what am I actually doing once I'm inside this thing? Okay, so we've kind of already, we, we leapfrogged into the, uh, the, the the super VR geek uh, territory. Like, we right are so start. deep. But, yep. So let's yeah. pull back a little bit, and I want to talk mm. about Oculus, because um, they've been in the news a lot, you know, with the lawsuits and... People are talking about their sales. I want to talk about this whole thing. There was a story that came out in Business Insider, and a lot of people picked it up, that claimed that, and there, there seemed to be some confirmation from Oculus, uh, that claimed that Best Buy, the, the kiosks that Oculus had in Best Buy stores around the country were being removed. And you know some people are taking this as a sign of bad sales, lack of interest. Now, before you guys weigh in, I will say that before Christmas, this past Christmas in November, I went to all three Best Buys in Manhattan and consistently I found that none of the equipment was on and at best maybe the monitor was on just showing kind of like a, a loop right. reel. 
right. there was no staff there mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. pretty much like when i whenever i did ask like if you know if anything was available to buy you know oh well we're waiting for restock i mean there just seemed to be very little attention paid to the to these kiosks now they looked great but it i don't know what deal oculus slash facebook had with best buy but the relationship doesn't seem to be a very friendly one so 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 when i saw that as kind of you know people taking this kiosk thing as kind of like an indication of lack of interest or bad sales i kind of brushed that off but i I don't what what do you guys think do you think that was you know some sort of indication of a problem absolutely not i think it's irresponsible reporting to be honest i i'm totally in agreement with your with your observation dario i think that um i'm Maybe the staff weren't trained to show it off in the best possible way, so there wasn't any real interest. Secondly, and most importantly, um, I'm not sure showing that off in Best Buy is like the best move. Like, first of all, like if I want to try the the, the Rift, I probably wouldn't want to try it in, like in a crowded shopping mall. I'm very self conscious, especially if I know nothing about VR. I'll probably want to try it in a private place. I'd want. I'd want to walk into the mall and have people stare at me, look stupid, right? Right, right. There's, there's a lot of friction, I think, to to put on a headset in a public situation, first of all. And I think that that probably contributed to maybe less people being interested in going there. Also, there wasn't a lot of um, information going out or publicity saying that this is available to try at, at Best Buy. You right. know, like I, I think all they did was just like, oh, here's here's a demo set. Here's a blueprint on how you could set it up. And show it off and expect and they probably expected people to sort of crowd around there. The general public, they don't really know what VR is. To them, it's just strange, mystical thing. It could be 3D TV for all they care, right? right? And it's like if they can't see it immediately through the headset, they probably just wouldn't care. And and part of it may also be this kind of living in a bubble thing. Like the three of us, we, you know, think about VR a lot and we're we've already bought in. And I imagine if you're at Oculus, you have probably been to a bunch of conferences, you know, shows, right. events, and mm-hmm. you see the lines forming. And and I've been to CES like two years ago. I remember there was huge lines to get into the Oculus booth. And you probably think, oh, if we set these up at Best Buy, they'll be lined up for miles. And no, it's different with the mainstream who aren't already, you know, bought in. Yeah. Well, so have either of you actually seen the kiosk? Because I've never seen one in person. So it's kind of hard for me to comment on like how effective or ineffective they are without really having experienced one. So, so I've seen one. I've seen one at the Best Buy in the Upper West Side, and it's like at the basement, basement level. Like it's is literally. There, is there like is there someone like manning it the whole time, or is it just like when when I was a, there, a, a rift on a table? When I was there, it was a rift in a glass case, <laughs> right. and there was no one there. Like literally, I was just like right next to it as well. Was well, I think the Vive being sold as well? So I guess it's like they just didn't care. Yeah, it really yeah. seemed very half-hearted to me, at least in, for that particular Best Buy. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I think that the the key there is that like people don't know what VR is, so they really need to be have their hands held all the way through the process, and it needs to be more than just uh, here's the technology, put it on and try it yourself, right? Without having seen exactly what the execution is, I, it's hard for me to say. But I mean, obviously, uh, it wasn't effective if they were pu- if they're pulling it, so that's kind of end of story in, in, from my perspective. Uh, exactly. They still have it in, in a number of stores. So I would imagine they're making business decisions that are like in their best interest. So uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not reading too much into it. I think exactly. that, it, you know, it probably is like not super effective everywhere. Um, and I think that, I, I mean, my personal opinion is it just needs to be a walkthrough experience. And it kind of speaks to, I think, a larger trend with regard to how people are approaching reporting about the Oculus, well, just not the Oculus, but just VR in general, 
where they're doing this thing where they're comparing it to smartphones oh, as though, yep. okay, here are the, you know, here are the sales for this headset and that headset. And, you know, well, the, the you know, the, the, the iPhone sold this in, in its first or second year. And this, no, 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 no. This is a completely different paradigm of computing. This is not, you know, we had Palm Pilots. We had flip phones. We had, you know, what was it? The, um, the hip top. And we had little, we had, you know, palm, you know, we had these things that kind of led us up slowly to, you know, what we now know as the smartphone. Right. This is completely different. Nothing has led us up to it. There have, we've, the mainstream has never had any kind of glasses that they used regularly at home or at work. This is a completely new platform. And, it, it is it, it's boggling my mind that people are like, well, the sales and I'm like, dude, the first year for commercial, like true commercial availability for these headsets, far as I'm concerned, these numbers are fast, amazing. Mm-hmm. These are yeah. great numbers. Mm-hmm. It makes me so happy, by the way, to hear you saying that because it's so hard for us to communicate this um, to to people. Is people in general just they understand models and precedents. So they'd like to compare those models and precedents, right? So I, I understand why they do that. As, as long as something that's tech and it does these things, they'll compare it to something else in tech that does these things. So I understand why they do that. But therein lies the difficulty in explaining that, that it's a different paradigm. So, okay, so Oculus. So let's, let's dive a little deeper. So yeah. they had their very public court battle with ZeniMax. Uh, ZeniMax is the company that uh, acquired id Software, I believe, in 2009. And along with it, John Carmack, who is now over at Oculus. And that was kind of like a point of contention. I think they believe that, you know, he may have taken some secrets with him. Long story short, they lost, Oculus lost, uh, to the tune of $500 million. And Oculus has pledged to appeal that ruling. And now it comes out that John Carmack, who, you know, from all appearances, seems like a very nice guy. And I've, I've watched a ton of his talks um so he doesn't seem like a combative litigious guy now he's come out he's filing suit against Zenimax because he's claiming that they haven't paid him 22 million of the amount that they were supposed to pay him for Mm -hmm. it software and oh by the way before i forget uh i believe Zenimax tried to get some sort of injunction against Uh. oculus to stop them from selling you know the hardware and software so this is like this appears to be a battle that is going to linger for at least the next couple of years i'm assuming facebook has you know the willingness and the arsenal the legal arsenal to handle this without missing a beat. But, I mean, do we think this is going to put some sort of damper on what, you know, Oculus is trying to do, you know, how it grows? I'm pretty confident that, like, this is, like, bump along the road and it's probably gonna take a while to, to all resolve yeah but let's talk about the elephant in the room okay not only does facebook have kind of i guess a diminished outlook for many people you know that many people feel like maybe it's passe boring not cool anymore there's just a lot of there seems to be a lot of low-key hate toward not just facebook but to a lesser extent, Zuckerberg just as kind of like the face man of uh, of Facebook. I have no problem with Zuckerberg. He's a little stiff, but I have no problem with the guy. Um, <laughs> you know, he, he seems to be you know engaged in great works, and he seems to be about improving humanity. and And I like right. his overall message. Yeah. I, I'm rooting for the guy. Mm. However, not, doesn't seem like the most popular company uh, from a cultural standpoint. And then to make it worse, then you have Palmer Lucky. And we're yeah. not going to get into all that yeah. political stuff. Mm-hmm. If you, you know, if you're listening, guys out there, you, you go. You can go dive in for yourself. But there are some political leanings or supposed 
political leanings and associations that uh, Palmer Lucky uh, is alleged to have had that kind of took him out of the spotlight. If you notice, we don't really see. He used to be the face guy. He used to always be, you know, front and center for Oculus stuff. And now he's not so much front and center. You know, now you have the lawsuit. I mean, there's, there, there are little things that chip away at the edges of the Oculus story that kind of make it not as, you know, aspirational as it could be. I'll say this. Like, I think they're a huge company. I think financially to be fine. I think, they like Rob said, it would be a bump in the road. Um, I think... The PR side, they have to massage a little bit because of all the things that have happened with Palmer and a few other executives. But I think in general, they are well, they're a well-meaning company that, that's trying to do the, the best that they can. And they're, they're bound to be a few bad eggs here and there. And that's just something that they're just going to have to deal with. With regards to Carmack and id and, and I mean, Carmack and, and Zenimax, it's, I don't know, like, I don't know enough about the case to sort of like, to 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 comment, but I would say that man, like I hope they they sort it out. But I think I know that Facebook, whatever the case, will be fine, and and maybe it would be like a rebranding. Maybe Oculus would be gone. It would be Facebook VR. I don't know, but I from all intents and purposes, for all intents and purposes, it seems like they're in it for the long haul for VR at least. Well, it's it's funny that you say that about the takeover. That was my next topic. Yeah, will Facebook eventually take over the Oculus brand? Because I'm increasingly seeing these, you know, materials and advertisements or marketing or whatever, where it's not just Oculus, it's Oculus. And I think it says at the bottom in small letters by Facebook. And it it seems weird because I could be wrong, but like, I don't feel like I see by Facebook on any Instagram stuff. Right. I mean, am I wrong on that? No, I think you're right. right. Um, I think with all the mobile apps that they've acquired, they pretty much leave them untouched for you know right. a number of reasons i'm sure right to not alienate the current user base who maybe right. doesn't even realize um i think as long as they're making hardware oculus brand is going to continue to exist i mean it's even on gear vr which is not something that they're creating firsthand uh, ironically i think they're providing the software there but i feel like in the future like if you know facebook's core business is all in software right so i could see a world where facebook vr becomes the vr platform right. and maybe maybe that runs across more than just Oculus, right? Maybe that becomes mm-hmm. something that is just ubiquitous in VR in general. I mean, for me, it's it's a little irritating because I'll just come out and say it. I'm not a fan of Facebook as a product. I don't right. really use it unless I have to. Um, I couldn't tell, Adaria. And so, I mean, whenever I pick something up that's Oculus and it has a little buy Facebook thing down there, right. I'm just like, okay, you're, I mean, you're basically mm. signaling that, you know, it, it feels like they're signaling Oculus is a transitional brand and it may not be around for the long haul. Cause I've, I've just, I feel like I've never seen this before. And again, the thing with Instagram, as we mentioned before, is like, there, there. It had this base of people who I think were considered cool and still are considered cool. It's a cool brand. It has a cool aura about it, and you want you don't want to damage that. You don't want to risk kind of changing that story. Right. And so they don't put the at least as far as I've seen, they don't put the fate by Facebook thing on that. They let Instagram do its thing. And why not do that with Oculus? And the only thing I could think is maybe because Oculus is not as a yet a big of hit as uh, right. Instagram, and so they're trying to help it and say, hey guys, I think. You know, this is by I, Facebook, you know. I actually think so. Like, I think that's that it makes it less alien and techie 
Yeah, less less mysterious, right? Like it's it's less black box, more friendly face. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it's just absolutely. Still, and, and now they just came out a couple of days ago with um Facebook 360, the app. And it, what's weird to me, and I spoke to Facebook about this, and the answer was kind of like a PR ish answer. It didn't really reveal anything. But I said to them, I said, "Look, you guys put out or Oculus put out Oculus Rooms a few months back." And I don't know if you've delved into Oculus Rooms much, but in Oculus Rooms, there's a section of the apartment. Okay, to explain to listeners, because we're getting deep again. So Oculus Rooms is an app that allows you to take an avatar of yourself in VR and go into a room and share experiences with friends who, who are represented by 3D avatars as well. And you can play games, you can watch movies together, you can just sit and chat. And so one part of and it's and it's laid out like an apartment with three different spaces in the apartment. And within that apartment, there's an, a TV watching area, you know, to watch videos, you know, 360 videos, regular videos. And what I noticed is when Facebook came out with this non Oculus app just a couple of days ago, Facebook 360, pretty much most of the videos that are in that app are the same as what I saw in Oculus Rooms. Now, I think a lot of people mm. don't recognize this because, frankly, I don't think a lot of people use Oculus Rooms and they haven't really right. delved into it as much as I have, but I'm paying, a clo- I'm paying close attention to all this. Like, I'm just watching all the little lines and the intersecting <sighs> themes or whatever. Well, I, was, I asked them what's going on, and their answer was just like, no, there's no connection, no connection at all. But I, I, got, I just got to be honest, it just felt like another example of, okay, is this this kind of creeping Facebook. And one other thing before I kind of get too deep into that, because I don't even really think that's the, like the bigger point is Facebook taking over Oculus. Um, maybe two weeks ago, you saw Zuckerberg post these videos of him in the Oculus labs, you know, testing out this little glove, like some sort of interface glove and, you know, showing off, you know, the Oculus suite or whatever. Shouldn't that have been, you know, Ereeb or someone else, you know, on the Oculus staff? Instead, it's Zuckerberg, who is the face of Facebook, kind of, you know, showing all this stuff off. And I almost... I'm going to make a prediction. I'll just go. I had not planned on doing this, but I'm just going to make the prediction. I think it's going to flip within five years. I think you're going to have Facebook VR with the branding. You're going to have Facebook VR and maybe in small type somewhere, it'll say Oculus and they'll maybe maybe. and they'll power other experiences, other hardware, because I don't think they they intend on getting rid of Oculus as like a unit. But it seems like fate, like I think Zuckerberg wants to wants Facebook to take over VR. I mean, if you look at Facebook's businesses elsewhere, right, they're on other platforms. They're not just on Facebook's hardware. When Facebook actually tried to get into the phone game and really didn't I... have much success. So I don't think it's I don't think their business is predicated on the fact that Oculus has to be successful. As long as VR generally is successful, I think that they have a space where they can kind of be a huge player, especially as it relates to social in VR, which is not a solved problem yet. Just going back a little bit uh, with the different apps that are showing the same thing with Oculus Rooms and Facebook 360, I think it seems clear to me, I don't I don't know whether this is the case, but it seems clear to me that there are different groups working on different things between Oculus and Facebook. And I, you know, it's just one of those things where it's large enough company and different silos within the company. And you know, I'm sure the PR tells us that they talk a bit, but maybe they don't talk that much. So that might just be it, you know, like um, growing pains because, again, they're not – they haven't been with Facebook for that long. Uh, and, I mean, it's it's eons in VR years, which we, we know right. is a long time. But, right. but it's it, it's about what, – what is it, like three years? Something like that, Four? yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. Like it's 2014. So it's it's not – 
it's not that long. And and I, I guess it's still trying to figure it out, especially as VR grows, right? Okay, like, I'll try not like, to freak out. I'll calm down. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I mean, you might be right. And honestly, you know, consumers won't care. Right. Um, you know, like com- companies like us won't really care as much. It's, it's just for us, they're the one company and it's just all branding. And, and so one last thing, and, we'll, and I'll swear we'll get off Oculus, but just one last thing. What are we going to make of this price drop? I feel like this is a huge price drop. I, I'm all for it. I love it. I think it's a, a great price. Um, Oculus, previously Oculus, the headset, I believe, was $600, and the touch controllers were $200. Oculus has knocked those prices down to now the you can get the headset and the touch controllers for 600 all in, and then all you need is you know some sort of PC, laptop, or desktop powerful enough to run the software um this is a huge this isn't a 50 if they had dropped the price by 50 dollars, i feel like that would have been notable dropping the price the overall price by 200 dollars is a shot at htc vive and mm-hmm. I, I feel it's a declar. It, you can either it depends on how you look at it. it's either a declaration of war like we're serious we're coming <laughs> like we want to win this or yep. or coming so soon after that somewhat damaging story from Business Insider about Best Buy and, you know, some doomsayers, you know, predicting that, you know, it's this is going to have, you know, VR is going to have a hard time going mainstream. Maybe it was an act of desperation. It depends on your perspective. What I'm most excited about in the price cut is $100 cheaper for the touch controls because, yes. I mean – we don't really know how many Oculus Rift owners out there actually have touch controls, given that they were selling the headset without before the touch controls existed for a good, I don't know, six months. So it feels like that is an opportunity for people who already have the headset to kind of have a complete VR experience with hand presence. I mean, I, I think it's great. Anything that makes VR more accessible is amazing. I'm not sure, though, that there's like hundreds of thousands of people that were like waiting for a price cut. To, to buy a, a rift right like interesting I, yeah. it's, mm-hmm. it's i mean it's nice right like i think i think the stuff needs to get cheaper but it's still not mobile phone cheap right it's still not gear vr right. cheap so right uh it'll i think it'll be impactful i think it'll move some units but it sounded like acc's response was well we don't feel like we need to cut our price and exactly to some, ex- to some extent the market that's out there today is willing to pay 800 dollars for a headset and uh, until there's either better content or more affordable PCs or some some because like the the headset at the end of the day isn't the most expensive part of the of the package ninety percent of the time you can get a five hundred dollar Oculus Ready machine sure but um and I don't have numbers behind this but it feels like intuitively that people right uh, in general probably aren't like oh let me get the cheapest computer I can that's going to be obsolete in a year or two uh to to play VR I don't think it's a I wouldn't say desperation, Adario, like you said. I would say it's a concerted change in strategy. I think for a while they wanted to be the walled garden Apple style player in the market. But I think especially with all the announcements that's going out, especially with like Microsoft doing the merged re- mixed reality, ho- Windows holographic stuff, you know, um, we we have, what is it, um, LG now making something for Steam VR. It, soon it's going to be like, it's not going to be like hardware-based platforms, you know what I mean? Like it's going to be, this nice open PC platform, which consists of Open VR, Steam VR, and Oculus, right? And Steam VR and Vive ports and all that, they will have all the sort of like they will have a whole bunch of content and a whole bunch of headsets. And people who will, are just getting into VR, like the, the Microsoft stuff, I mean, they will have their own platforms too. But they, I mean, they're talking about two nine nine style headsets. I think they wanted for a long time to be that Apple, but now they realize that they can't. So mm. I think that's where. 
I, I don't know. Okay, they, so I, I, this is where right? this is where I put out my. I think it's obvious, but I'll just I'll it's I'll say it's my theory since I've been thinking it on my own for a long time. Sure. Um, yeah, this is Apple versus Microsoft again, all over again. Or if you want to take it in a different direction, mobile, maybe Google, you know, Android versus. Well, Apple, Apple, Apple will never cut their prices. That's the thing. Apple, uh, as that's we not know, true. Will never they cut, cut their, prices. their prices all the time. No, 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 no. They'll. I mean, they are reluctant to cut their prices, but when they cut the prices. They don't really – like, for instance, with the Apple Watch. Like, they've had trouble getting that really, you know, to become, like, this popular, you know, mainstay kind of like the iPhone. But they have quietly cut the prices, like, several, like a couple of times over the last couple of years. So they'll cut the prices. But not without releasing a premium product, right? Like, they will mask it under, like, oh, yes, this is, like, like version version 1 is, like, now cheaper. Version 2 is the same price. So they, they will still maintain, at least in my opinion, that sort of level of prestige. Yeah, and I, think, I mean, I, look, I've been paying right? through the nose for Apple forever. Whenever right. they reduce a price on anything, I'm shocked. I, like, I, you know, I, I need medication just to calm me. I'm like, what? Because it's just so <laughs> shocking that they, even with something that's supposedly obsolete, because it's like, you know, generation one, you know, I mean, I'll put it like this. If you're a hardcore Apple buyer, even when you find something affordable that's refurbished on their website, it's shocking. You know, so, but anyway, we, we, not to talk about them too much, but just to get back to Oculus versus the rest of them, I think the price drop, it could be what you're saying, but it could also just be what you're saying, but in a different way, meaning they understand competition is coming, but I really don't see them backing away from that Apple walled garden strategy. I really yeah, think yeah, that's their not. bread and butter. I, I agree with you. I, I agree with you, but I think they're sort of willing to concede a bit more of that, you know, and mm-hmm. to... They are, they're trying to go with the waves of go with the tides of where the industry is going, and they realize probably that staying at eight hundred dollars with a touch is not going to be feasible for them to continue. So, I mean, that's look, what yeah. that that two hundred dollars hurt when I got the touch. It hurt, but the touch is so beautiful, and it's so it, you know it it makes me feel so Johnny Mnemonic y. You know, using it, you know, with the hand presence and everything, I was willing to take it. Now that it's like, what, $99, that is a much easier lift. It is. You know. Can I I throw in my qualifier now about about the Rift and Touch? So I love the Touch controllers. In fact, the the headset I have in my office table right now is a Rift and Touch. But there is still something really visceral about holding a wand, especially when you're like swinging a bat around or you're you're shooting a gun. Hmm. Um, so that I, I, all I'm saying is that I would use the touch for a lot of things like for quill, definitely the touch. Right. But for like, if I want to feel like I'm actually holding something, there's something nice to having a weight in my hands. So I see a future where, where it's going to be like my choice, whether or not I'm going to use uh, something that's more, more, more natural or something that is more physical. Well, but counterpoint to that would be like, if you talk about HCC Vive, there's the tracker now and, like it looks like, you know, the next generation of Steam VR controllers might be more like the touch or even right, right. like less, like less of a wand, right? Like more of right. a, like a, a straps onto your hand. So right. it, it becomes a thing of like, oh, what, what bespoke controller do I need for this experience? Whether that's a bat or a gun or something, you know, something else that like actually feels like the thing that I'm holding in virtual reality. Right. Although I'll say also that I wouldn't want to swing an actual bat in my living room, though. So, I mean, I I might swap between like the version two of the Steam VR controllers and something that's like the V1 of the wand for the Vive. Maybe it's just a really heavy bat handle. (laughs) So moving away from Oculus and just VR in general, I'm curious to know 
what everyone thinks uh, either the first big RV, v, big VR hit has been or will be because, okay, so I just did like a story on Robo Recall, which is Ooh. this really like incredibly well done VR game for the Oculus Rift, exclusively for the Oculus Rift, which I should also right. note that they gave away for free. This completely a, free a game of this quality of this polish to give it away for free is it's insane. It was created by Epic Games. They developed it using the Unreal Engine. Um, they have also made mods available or mod. You know, you can make port your own mod mods into the game. So, you know, we'll probably soon see. I already saw someone in Robo Recall with uh, lightsabers. Uh, we'll <laughs> probably see dinosaurs awesome. being killed. I mean, Damn. You know, this is a beautiful game and it's free and i'm hearing some chatter about robo recall not a ton um right before that maybe a a month or so before that resident even resident evil 7 in vr was getting a little bit of buzz you know and then you had the oscar nomination uh for the vr film oh gosh um pearl yeah pearl Um, which is a great film, but I found out, I talked to the Academy and it turns out it was not nominated based on anything having to do with VR. It was actually nominated just based on their viewing of a traditional viewing, like a a 2d viewing. So that nomination had nothing to do with virtual reality. So, I mean, do we think it's going to come, you know, from a game, from a film, from some sort of immersive experience like that Ghostbusters thing or, you know, the void? It's a really good question. I mean, I I think Robo Recall is one of the one of my favorite things that I've tried on uh, Oculus specifically. But just in terms of uh, a game in VR in general, it's like really fun. Uh, I mean, games generally have that stickiness factor, at least good games that you want to come back to, at least for some period of time. I don't know, though. I feel like the thing that's going to bring people back in a in a real way, time after time, is going to have to be social. 100%. Uh, cause, right? Because yeah. games, you know, like, how much better is a VR game than a game I can play on a console actually be around my friends? Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, I think there's still value in creating content that is designed for VR that is single player. But I, I think that the stuff that's going to draw people back, you know, week after week is going to be things that allow them to connect with people that they're n- unable to connect with in a, in that authentic of a fashion otherwise. hundred percent. And, and also like as much as I am a gamer and I love games, you know, there, we all have to realize that VR is going to be this super inclusive medium. So it can't be a game that's going to be that quote unquote, killer app right like uh, it has to be something else it has to be some sort of communal experience where you tell your friends about it so they can go on there with them or or, or, they, or they would want it so much they would want to buy a headset to go on there with you it has yeah, like, to have put, the virality put social in tilt brush that might be the answer <laughs> it might be it might be right like i mean right. uh, you know uh, it's it tilt brush for me has been and still is in many ways the like the one of the best apps out there for vr especially for people who are new to VR, because it really introduces the idea of, of, of room-scale VR, of positionally tracked VR, in a simple, elegant way, right? You're, you're literally drawing in the space in front of you, and people quickly get that this is not 360 video, this is not 3DOF VR. You can look around it. Every single sway of your head, you can see around that thing, that mark you made on, in, in the air in front of you. That's mind-blowing. Wait, wait, stop. So we're, we're super geeky here. Explain 6DOF. Yes. Sorry. All right. So when I, whenever I say like um, six degrees of freedom or, or positionally tracked VR, I'm, I, I mean that your headset can be tracked 
in some shape and form such that when you move your head around, you are actually moving around in the digital space as well as the real space. Yeah, so degrees of freedom is, you know, three degrees, six degrees is something that's talked about a lot in VR circles. But what I found is a lot of people in VR start tossing off, you know, this doff, that doff, thinking that people understand what they're talking about. And we have to remember that we're still guiding people into like what all this means. That's true. I mean, so I've been running with that definition, really, because it's like whenever I whenever whenever I realize I'm not talking to someone who understands it, it's like um, even degrees of freedom, it's hard to understand right. to them. So I'm just like it, it actually tracks your head. You can move around and, and, and you're actually moving the space. You can lean around objects. That's another way. So you can lean around objects. That's another way you can say it. So, I mean, I kind of agree with what Rob was saying about social, but I think it's social plus gaming. I think, it, as you indicated, David, uh, and I think there's something that's doing well. Whenever I go to social uh, VR environments, the only one that is consistently packed full. Of, no, that's not true. There are two that are consistently packed with people. Uh, Rec Room and Alt Space. And neither of those experiences are visually stunning or particularly groundbreaking in terms of, you know, the interactivity. I mean, you know, VR itself is, you know, groundbreaking and fascinating, but they're both pretty simple environments. But I think that kind of the the fact that they're like the, the developers of those experiences geared everything towards social, social networking, connection. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right, uh, Rob, you know, saying that I think social is going to be. And I think that's why Facebook, again, not to keep going back to them, but I think that's why they are so excited about this, because they have mastered social networking. You know, after all the the Friendsters and the the MySpaces have died off, Facebook figured it out. And there are even social networks. You know, I used to live in Asia and I've seen other social networks that got huge and have since, you know, not completely died away, but withered on the vine. And here Facebook continues to just continue. I think they're up to like 1.3 billion, something like that, users. I think I think I read 1.8, but yeah. Wow. So you you almost, may be right, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. That's incredible. It's pretty, pretty huge. But yeah, I mean, I think you're right about it being more than just social. But I think like social is inherently more than just social, right? Like it's if I'm going to recreate something that's trying to mimic reality in some sense, like the way that people interact in the real world isn't just like, oh, we only talk and we never do things together, right? So I think gaming can be that lubricant, but it, like I think you also have to sort of quantify what you mean by gaming because gaming is is huge depending on how you're looking at it, right? Like people have played board games forever and I think you're even seeing that in, in uh, social experiences like Altspace that I think they're, they're affording the ability to like play more traditional types of games that are like not necessarily experiences that have the baggage of video games. Right, well, yeah. Well, if- well, I, I fact, had a I meeting. A- I had a meeting with the CEO of a rec room in VR. That it was my first mm-hmm. like official business meeting in VR, which I was very excited about. And so he took me to like this private conference room in VR. It was, mm. it was just he and I, these two avatars walking around in VR. And he goes, "Oh, let's go over to this space over here." And so we go over to this space, and it's a poker table. And uh. I saw Zuckerberg uh, last year demo this kind of, you know, developmental version of what they were working on in terms of like this kind of like being able to play cards, you know, poker with friends remotely in VR. And -hmm. it was demoed on stage and everyone was blown away and it was like applause. And then here I am in rec room, just I think it was like not that much longer after the after the uh, Zuckerberg demo, me and the CEO, we, we had cards, we were playing cards and he couldn't see my cards. I couldn't see his. 
And I thought, you know, you know, to your point, Rob, you know, this is not a traditional shoot 'em up game or something that requires you to have speed on, you know, knobs or whatever. This is just I'm sitting with my friend who may be in Los Angeles and I'm in New York and we're going to have a game of poker now. And mm-hmm. he, yep. you can't see my cards. And I'm looking at the other thing I thought about, you know, in terms of how do you make money on this, this stuff? I'm looking at the walls around the room and the room felt very real. It was all, you know, it's a simplistic environment rec room, but it feels pretty real. And, you know, you could put ads on those walls. That alone, just playing cards with, you know, three or four buddies, you know, from around the world with real presence and they can't see your cards. That simple dynamic is fascinating. I'm going to call it. I think the thing that's going to get people excited will involve some element of play. I don't know specifically what kind of play. Um, I know that Rec Room, you know, they, they definitely have something on their hands, but it's it, they, they've got to do more than what they're doing to, to keep growing. I mean, they're growing well. They, they, they have a lot of new experiences coming out. They're super exciting. Um, but it's it's got to be more than just games as we know it now. Hmm. You know, that, that level of play is going to be the kind that will actually actually allow you to maybe even tell stories with each other or engage in like emergent worlds together. Hmm. I think that's the thing that will get people back. And it needs to break through that baggage as well of being a game. I don't think it can be called a game because then my mom wouldn't play it. Then, you know, like people of a certain generation would just be, oh, my God, it's Call of Duty. I would not play that. Right. Well, again, I think that's the it's the whole is it a game or is it a video game? Because I think games right. generally people play, right? Like, I mean, especially cards. Cards are kind of universal. So I think yep. card games are like a really good place to start, right? Like who hasn't played Solitaire once in their life? Well, so have you guys ironically a single player game but you know have you have you guys played games in rec room as in the games what do you mean by like any games games in rec room just have you met strangers and played games in rec yes yes okay so i went into one room and played charades now i think i may have played charades once in real life and i go into this room and everyone's a stranger and yep. we're playing charades. And it was like instantly it was a connection and we're laughing right. and exactly. I'm trying to draw shapes to like, you know, get them to understand, you know, what the secret, you know, item is, you know, and we're laughing back and forth. And so that was a cool like that was a great social experiment right. uh, or experience. And then I went to another room in rec room, uh, which I think is the problem. This has to be the most popular experience there, which is a uh, paintball. And, you know, you go in and you're instantly on someone's team and there's a red and a blue team. And I think it's usually, you know, it depends on how many people are in there, but it can be like, you know, four to five people on each team and you're working with each other and you're laughing and you can hear each other's voices. And, and, you know, right. it, it's, it's amazing because you, there are these instant friendships. And so, yes, I mean, that, that's social plus gaming, whether it's, you know, card games, board games, or traditional, you know, I, I think you're right, Rob, that yeah, probably won't be, games as we know them with this kind of you know the the franchises and you know the i mean if you look at playstation 4 there's like 50 million playstation 4s worldwide which is a nice big number but compared to the number of users on facebook is super tiny or like the number of people with a mobile phone so it's like it's if there's going to be games that are driving vr it will likely be on the casual front the stuff that people who play are like oh i'm not a gamer (laughs) right right that's the type of content that really is going to drive adoption all I'm saying is that there's probably some other level of play that we haven't discovered yet that someone's going to chance upon that won't be called a game and that would draw everyone together. And I don't know what it is yet, but I have a, I have a good feeling about it. So, that, so that's the next big question. So given all that, is Hollywood wasting its time? I mean, we have all watched as 
Hollywood and the television industry have gotten really excited about VR. They're including all these experiences. Mm -hmm. I think there was a deal just announced in Variety about a week ago for like, you know, full on VR production that's going to kind of get a big budget treatment. Most of the VR development in terms of content seems to be coming. The, the new houses, the new production studios seem to be cropping up in Hollywood, in the L.A. area. Uh, Hollywood is all in. It seems even more so than 3D. 3D, it seemed exciting at first, but, you know, once people began to realize that only some people liked it, I think Hollywood quickly switched to kind of using it as a way to goose box office numbers by charging you for crappy 3D. This is just my rant, mini rant uh, for crappy (laughs) 3D that you don't really want. Whereas with VR, I really get this sense whenever I talk to people, you know, from film studios and television companies like i really do believe like the like hollywood is really excited about vr but you know i have yet to experience a vr film that truly like i can't bring up one i've seen a ton and i can't bring up one now that i would say is notable or that is a must see i would just say okay so there was a recent article that came on vanity fair um about hollywood being dead it's already dead the studio system is dead it's Hollywood's predicated on a art, like a really, really archaic industry that's inefficient, and the star system is just not going to last. And my point with that is, um, I really hope you're right, and that they're investing the right dollars in in VR and in exploring this medium. But it's a big, big machine, you know. Like there's a lot of institutional baggage. There's still a lot of people in Hollywood who don't really know what VR means, and to them, they're just like, okay, <clears> let's <throat> let's put money into films. We only understand motion pictures. So the easiest thing to get into is 360 video. It was just a great medium, but it's not the medium that, we, that we're going to need to sort of really present what VR actually is. You know, it, it's, it's going to be good as an interim to sort of capture reality and present it in something that they can sort of look around on your screen. But it's a really bad medium to be experienced in a headset. Like it's, I can rant about this for hours, but I'll just stop right there and say that I have a feeling that the dollars are going to be misplaced. And I have a feeling that the dollars are going to go into very expensive films that are going to be shot in 360 video and then it's going to bomb and then people are going to go okay vr is 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 like 3d and i'm afraid i'm deathly afraid that they go like okay there's no money in this we'll just go back to not exploring interesting content i'm more optimistic than either of you apparently but uh (laughs) no i mean i i don't think that there's been great examples to date but i think that the medium is just being sort of defined today there's a handful of experiences that aren't coming from hollywood but are coming to VR that are narrative. David and I talk about this all the time. We, I think it came up briefly at some point, even in this conversation. Uh, Pearl, right, by Google Spotlight Stories is a really great story told in VR. Dear Angelica, which was at, debuted at Sundance from Oculus Story Studios, another really great story told in VR and not in a traditional way. I mean, I'd say Pearl is more, it has that traditional storytelling. Pearl's slightly different than that. What I'd hope to see is traditional film companies either working with or learning from the companies that are sort of blazing new trails in VR, right? And that's part of what we're trying to do is to like bring that sort of VR native storytelling, things that you, stories that you can only tell in VR to VR so that you can experience the worlds of films that you love in a different way and like feel like you're living in the world of a film that you love and in a way that is satisfying enough that you're willing to either pay for it or have it be like a supplemental addition to your film ticket or hopefully things, experiences that are good enough that they can be standalone experiences that are just like for either fans of a film or a franchise. Um, right. And really give them that, that deeper uh, appreciation 
for for that so for that piece of content. Hundred percent behind Rob, and hundred percent. This is why both of us work together. Like you need to have like a pessimist like me work with an optimist like him. All I'll say as a counterpoint to that though is that we, that is our goal, and that's what we're trying to do. But we, I just want to acknowledge there's a lot of institutional baggage ahead of us. That's what we're gonna have to maneuver against. I definitely want this to be true, but man, it's gonna be a, a steep hill to climb. Like that's how I see it. I think a lot of this money is gonna go into this 360 stuff, and it's probably not gonna work for various reasons. And then there's, you know, that'll be the story. Oh, you know, the great hype. Once again, just like 3D, blah, 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 blah. I, I got a couple of things to say on this. First of all, so just uh, about a week ago, I popped in. Have you guys seen Blade, the old vampire movie? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I had never watched a full length movie in VR. So I said, let me pop this in. Popped it in. I watched it in big screen. And I used the void uh, room, which basically gives you like a giant cinema screen, but no seats around you. It's just in a black space. So it mm-hmm. feels 3D. It feels like you're actually in a movie theater. And I watched, I don't know, it's whatever, it's an hour and 30, almost two hours, however long it is. And I watched the movie from start to finish in VR, and it was a great experience. I felt like I was in a movie theater, not just a glorified large screen. Right. Then I went to Hulu. And I said, okay, let me force, and I, yeah, I had to force myself to do this stuff because I have such great normal screens that I don't, you know, I'm not geared toward just going into VR to watch this stuff. Right. So I went to Hulu's VR app and watched, oh God, what was it? It was either Homeland or Legion, one of those shows, a full episode in VR. And also, great, no problem, looked awesome. But again, it was a flat 2D experience in a 3D construct kind of mimicking maybe a prettier version of what I can already create here in real life. And so I think that's kind of like the fundamental problem. The the tools at this point for production are still so expensive that there's not enough experimentation going on. Now, these are literally the things we we talk about at, at work. Here we are inventing a new medium, and yet we're so fixated by story, right? Like, if, if I want to deconstruct it very simply, all story is is a series of moments to make you feel a certain way. And with this dawn of a new medium, why are we still so fixated on the story? Like, it can do so much more, including telling a story. But, like, when we go back to social, it can also connect you to people. And there are different ways to go through a series of moments that not doesn't necessarily need a story. And, and this is the whole thing about nonlinear stories. If you have a series of emergent events in a world with a friend where you can basically go through a series of moments in a way that has never been done before, that is still authored, isn't that more compelling than a linear, normal story? But without, you're saying without story? Because I think even if it's nonlinear, you still kind of have to have some underlying narrative. Like even if the person branches off on this or that different logic tree and, you know, you still have to have some. Not, not necessarily. So let's say like, let's say we, you, we have like some simulation of you and your friends camping in the woods. And there's no real necessarily story behind it other than you camping in the woods. But obviously, you're going to go on an adventure, right? One of you might realize that you didn't bring uh, matches. And then suddenly, you guys will have to go and look for firewood. And then you just have to go through this world and look for firewood. And through that, you will create a story through the architecture of the world, right? Through through maybe like AI agents in the world, through maybe like um, small sub sub events to happen in the world maybe there'll right. be a bear at this point but it's not necessarily a narrative yeah but you still i mean until we get self-aware ai you're still going to have to program behaviors if this then that 
behaviors into all those different branches of, okay, well, if he talks to the bear and if the bear gets angry because he poked the bear and then the bear like cuts him and then he runs over to the hospital to get, you know, I mean, in the environment to get bandaged, then this will happen. I mean, you still have to create all those underlying, you know, if this, then that. Right. You still have to create those systems. That's not hard to do. Like very simple systems when overlaid over other simple systems become really complex. When you create that, that, that campfire experience, for instance, you're not necessarily being an author saying, I'm going to make a story about a group of friends who encounter a bear. No, I'm going to build them a world in which they can interact with their environment and then create a story together. And, and this is where like, it veers a little bit towards like, being a game. But I would also say like, there's no real goal other than to enjoy yourself, and whereas games need a goal. David's right. We don't agree on this part. But uh, <laughs> I mean, I think, there's, I think there's room for experience like what David is discussing. But I think that to your point of Dario, I think like narrative is something that is... So just um, to be clear, like, narrative is important, but I just want us to look beyond just narrative. Yeah, but I think that's really far in the future where we're going to have that level of AI generated choose your own adventure and it won't just turn into kind of a loop. In other words, to have something that's a satisfying experience where there's mm-hmm. a definite payoff and I feel like I got my time slash money's worth, I think mm-hmm. we're still at the point programmatically, you know, software wise, where you still need to, like if you play right now, if you play Robo Recall, it mm-hmm. prompts you to do right, this or right. that or go in th- this or that direction. And if you try to go away from that, actually, I'll, I'll use a different example, Arizona sunshine if mm-hmm. you try to not follow the direction that the game is telling you to go in it simply won't la- allow you to go anywhere else you have right. to go so, in the direction I it's just, pointing you to games have been doing this for a while so left for dead emergent like they have episodes right where you're it's still a zombie shooter though which is why that's still a game but the tech is there you, it, it can be emergent you can go different different paths you don't have to author the paths you author the systems behind the paths minecraft right there's no story there but yet groups of kids group together every single night to build and hunt and survive. In, in that sense, survival maybe is a story. But, you know, like they will create this. I mean, all I'm saying is that instead of being the person who writes the story for them, you give them a world in which they can create a story amongst themselves. I, I agree with that. But I think the problem with that is that requires the social aspect, meaning that requires other people. What I'm saying, if we go back to Hollywood and TV, right. a big part of what Hollywood and TV does, I'll just say Hollywood. TV and films, Hollywood, Mm -hmm. what they do is they give people who may not have friends or who may have just broken up from a relationship or may just had a, a death in the family. They give these people escape valves and those people don't always aren't always amenable or ready or willing to engage with other people. They want to escape. Right. Hollywood provides escape. I understand what you're saying. You're kind of mixing in kind of like that group thing and you're talking about how people play games. What I'm saying is Hollywood, to me, their role is to, to provide escape dreams, like dream bubbles of escape where if I just alone, I'm feeling crappy. I don't want to talk to anybody. Right. I need to right. feel good. I need to, and I don't want to necessarily go in to a room and have this experience with other people that I know actually exist. Maybe I right. do just want fantasy in a bubble. And in that case, you know. I mean, there's single player experiences that do that as well. You know, like yeah, that. But I, that. I, I was just going to say, um, I, I agree with Adario on this point in the sense of there's things in narrative, like sometimes you don't want to interact. Sometimes you just want to lean back and experience a story or, or interact in a light, like a lightweight way, which is right. like, maybe I'm looking over here. Maybe I'm looking over there. Like, think, and, but I would also add is that like, I think films aren't just an escape. 
for people. I think they're like a way to, to communicate feeling, right? They're a way to like communicate feeling about something. So like, I don't know if you've seen Get Out, but like both David and I have seen it separately. And I wouldn't say that that's something that like is like a feel good movie per se, but it's definitely something that like makes you come out and like look at the world slightly differently. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the power of narrative. And like, that's the stuff that like, I think you lose when you you like sort of throw that over the fence and say like oh the people in my experience will create the story right sure but like what story are they going to create not no, 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 no. has fun doing it but right, yeah. right. I, so don't get me wrong guys i'm totally on the same boat with you guys all i'm saying is that in addition to very passive experiences and we talked about this being potentially on a spectrum as well you be things that more lean back things with light interaction and things you want to do by yourself and things you want to do with a group right if we can look at that as spectrum i think there's something all there I think going back to Hollywood, though, traditionally, they're just used looking at the first quadrant, right? And I think in order to really get more people on board, you're starting to looking, they need to start looking beyond that spectrum because that first quadrant alone won't get everyone on board. Because um, for some people, after a while, when if all they do is be in the virtual world and watch other people, if that's all they do, they'll be like, you know what? This thing's too heavy on my face. I'm just going to go back to watching TV which is why the one-to-one translation of just making a TV program or a movie in VR will not work. <clears throat> but there will be experiences like that. And like the way Rob said, they will make you feel a certain way, like Dear Angelica, like Pearl. Those will be around and it'll be amazing. But for VR to really be a revolutionary thing, it needs to be more than that. And what it is, we, we don't know yet. We just need to figure it out. Well, yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. But before the revolutionary, we need serviceable. And I think that's kind of... In terms of just where the rubber meets the road for Hollywood, and we're not talking, I'm not talking 10 years from, I'm talking like in the next 12 to 24 months, I don't think Hollywood is necessarily going to, I could be wrong, but I don't think they're going to follow that path. I think they're going to follow the story path because story is still king in Hollywood. Stories, parables, fables, legends, that still rules Hollywood. Will that change? Maybe, but I don't think it's going to change in the next five years. It may change in the next couple of decades, but I think as humans, as a, as a, as a species, I think we just, we love story in whatever form it comes. Absolutely. Like story is the most efficient way for us to convey and communicate a series of events and feeling and to get people on board with ideas and parables, right? Like it's, we've gotten so good at it that we love it so much. I agree with you. I don't think Hollywood's actually going to, you know, revolutionize itself in the next five or 10 years even. All I'm saying is that, that I, you know, I feel that for VR to be a medium beyond, like for it to really be revolutionary, it has it has to be more than just story. I'm saying that there will be linear linear story that will be done very well, but the true affordances of VR <laughs> will be in a space where you can where it be spatial, where where it's not so much an authored story that is told to you, but more an experience that you would discover and explore. So that's if we look at something we all actually know, like Sleep No More. That has like several branching, I wouldn't even say branching because that's a loaded term, it has several like multilinear narratives within that in a space that you can go and watch and discover. But it's still it's still directed, you know, like it's still directed to you, correct? So you can go through it. Um, it's, you, you know, you can go alone, you go through it with different people. It will still be more or less the same, unless of course you happen to engage with someone and, and, and do your own thing, right? There's something special about that experience where you are the director of your own experience. You decide where sort to go. Of. You decide you yes and 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 still yes. You, you are the director of your own experience, but you're you're not the director of Sleep No More. 
But well, you're the director spoilers, of your own experience. Spoilers for Sleep No More. At the right. end, everyone has the same experience, the same payoff, which is my point. Let's get away from this esoteric stuff. I feel like we've gone down the rabbit hole and, and our time is running short. This is perfect that you brought up Sleep No More because the last thing I wanted to address is, well, with regard to the text uh, part of it, is VR arcades versus these home setups. Back in, I think it was 2014, end of 2014, beginning of 2015, I had a meeting with the CEO of NextVR, and he was, you know, pushing his, you know, the whole mobile, you know, take your smartphone and put it into like a Gear VR headset and watch VR wherever you are, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, I was asking him, you know, what he thought of, you know, VR arcades, you know, for the high-end experience, because it did seem to me even back then like a heavy lift to expect, you know, masses and masses of people to buy, at least were then and still now, are expensive systems. He didn't seem to think that was a great idea. And since then, I've watched tons of investment go into mm -hmm. this space. I've watched a number of independent uh, VR arcades pop up. And now IMAX has launched their own VR arcade in L.A. And I talked to them. They have one planned for New York soon. Uh, another one in L.A. and several more around the country. IMAX of IMAX theaters that give you the giant screen and the really premium movie going experience. If you take that and this actually kind of dovetails nicely with what we were talking about, you know, before. If you take that versus home setups, I mean, where do we think this is going in, in terms of high end VR? I think it's great what IMAX is doing in the space. I think. VR arcades generally are a good thing for high-end VR. It all depends on the execution, of course. I kind of don't love the term VR arcade because it implies gaming based on the right. title. But the idea that there's a, lo a location that you can go to to try VR without really having to know a lot about VR is a good thing. And especially on the high-end, because I think the experiences you can have on the high-end systems are the things that convince people that VR is a thing that's going to be something it's a thing it's the experiences to get people excited get them talking about vr and get them sort of getting their friends to come out and try experiences i think you know of the things that i've i did get a chance to try the imax experience um center in la and i think it's really well run uh, i don't know what the full suite of content was but there was a, a selection of games there were some things that were maybe more narrative, like the John Wick experiences there, which I think skews a little bit gamey. I haven't tried it myself yet. Wait, but, wait, wait. Um, I got I to gotta cut in. I got to cut in. Hold on. So yeah. hygiene. Come on. What was the hygiene situation <laughs> at IMAX? I need so, to know. So it was super well run, right? Like they had um, a person per bay, right? They have like 12 or 14 different bays. Each bay is manned by um, an employee of IMAX. There's another person that escorts you from the lobby into the, your bay when your ticket time comes up. And they've got two folks that are sort of like checking in guests at the front desk and selling tickets at the door. So they, I'm, I didn't visually see them clean the headset, but I imagine that they have, <laughs> I, like, I didn't feel a, a wet headset when I put it on my face, right? So right, right. I have to imagine that they've like thought this through. Like, it's re really well executed. Like, it's the best location-based experience uh, that I've tried for VR yet. But did they give you a mask, like, you know, underneath, or did they just put the raw? You know, it's a really good face. question. I, I feel like they might have had the VR covers on the, so like the, like the little leather covers that go over the foam on the headsets, but I don't recall because it was a couple months ago now. I don't think they gave you a, your own external mask. I find mm -hmm. those things to be kind of uncomfortable, honestly. They don't really fit, right? right? No, uh, agreed, agreed. But, you know, yeah. better that than 
<laughs> the the face That's fungus. Weird face disease. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No so one the, wants a face disease. The, the, they have like they have sort of wraps which are made of pleather which go around the foam, right? So mm. those I I don't mind if especially if they wipe it down with alcohol swabs before mm. you put it I on. I think that's what's happening, but I didn't right. witness it firsthand because I came in and it was just ready to go. So I imagine gotcha. that before they bring you in, they're doing all that hygiene stuff. But right. but moving moving on from there. So here's why I think that the location based stuff is super important, especially on the high end. And who knows the veracities of these numbers, but there was a report a couple of weeks ago about in China uh, for the ACC Vive, it was like 95% of Vive owners are men. Whoa. And if we're going to create content that's meant for general audiences, and not to say that China is representative of Vive sales worldwide, but like as a directional um, sort of data point, it doesn't seem beyond the realm of possibility that like even if that number is 75% men worldwide or even in the US, like that seems likely. And mm-hmm. Feels like that's probably going to skew heavily gamer. So if you're trying to make content that's not meant to be a game, and it's you're trying to tell stories, and thinking about the Hollywood angle here, um, it feels like having uh, the hardware accessible in a place where, as a general you know consumer of content that doesn't really know a lot about VR, I can go to a place and have a nice experience and really just not worry about like the headset or the controllers or or like setting it up in my home, but I could show up. And I can experience a really great piece of content and and be amazed by it, right? Like, that's the most important part. You know? HTC launched their own VR arcade, which they actually call the HTC VR Cafe. So they have very smartly avoided the arcade thing that you mentioned. And I do think that's smart because, yeah, arcade... Yep. It kind of sounds frivolous, right? Or and maybe... the baggage that comes with games as well. It's yeah. like you're gonna go there. It's like yeah, it's like teenagers that go there, sort right. of thing. Yeah. So yeah. cafe is way better. It's like like a land cafe. Yeah, yeah. It just you know maybe I'm just going there to surf or do some social stuff or you know mm-hmm. talk to someone across the planet. You know, on the other side of the planet, cafe is is VR cafe is much better. I think maybe I'll start using that term myself more often. Do you envision? Uh, an avatar release where the IMAX let's, I think they're going to have two by then the IMAX theaters in Los Angeles are sold out. And you know, when IMAX gets a great movie, like they sell out, like there are full blocks of sellout, even though the tickets are expensive. Do you imagine like just blocks of sold out experiences at IMAX VR arcades? So, I mean, I can see that happening if the if the content's compelling enough i mean even now right like the the really hard part about vr is that it's a single player you know yes. at least for that right so yes. it's really easy to sell out vr right now when i went in la the john wick experience was sold out i can't speak to the quality of that content but it was i think popular for a number of reasons the john wick franchise the fact that it was on the star vr headset which i'm sure people are curious about so yeah i think that I think that it's almost easy, an easy problem to solve to sell out a VR experience yeah. as long as it's of like decent quality right now. Uh, I think it, assuming we can get past that problem of getting throughput on these things uh, where right. like, let's imagine it's, it's comparable to a theater, even if it's like eight people <laughs> in an experience at a time, as opposed to the hundred or so that are in a movie theater. Right. Um, I, I'm optimistic that, that, We'll get to a place. I mean, it took what 10, 20? How many years did it take for for like people to figure out how to tell stories well in film? It was a while. Oh, it was a while. Uh, 
it yeah. took a while yeah. since it was invented. Yeah. yeah. So, Same with TV. I mean, I imagine. Yeah. yeah. Especially so TV. I imagine that it'll take, you know, at least half as long, if not as long as yeah. those uh, as those uh, mediums took to, to develop. So, yep. yeah, I I'm, imagine eventually we'll get to a place where 2020, that's what, right. two years away? Wow. Yeah, Man. I know. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm 120% behind Rob on this. And I, I even see, like, I think the throughput problem will be solved via sort of untethered mobile headsets that people might even bring with them, right? Or they might sort of rent it from a counter there. And it might be some sort of mix of, of, of like extended reality where, or, or some augmented reality. I don't want to use these terms, but it's just like some sort of reality where you can detect people around you so that they are part of the experience around you, right? So it's, you're not, it's not a bay anymore necessarily. It could be you and your friends. Um, going through an experience together, you know, it, it could be completely passive. It could be just watching things together, but you could be there with your friends. And I, I think this is, it might be a future as well, maybe 20 years from now where, and we talk about this all the time in, in the office, like maybe there's like a VR, not say a gym, but so like imagine like this huge gym like space where you just go and it's very beautiful and it's like a spa. And you wash your hands, and you wash your face, and you VR put on the headsets. Spa. I love that. VR oh, spa. I know. There we go. There ah. we go. That's a, that's a business. Hold on. Like, wait. 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 Hoover.com. <laughs> no, you just keep talking. I'm just, just going to go ahead and take care of this business over here. Sorry. I, I go, yo, please go ahead. You beat us to the punch. Um, but like, it's a beautiful, nice, comfortable environment. We just go through, and and all all it really is is a huge empty space. And you are just bringing your headset with you, which by then might be as ubiquitous as a mobile phone. So the thing that's lacking won't be the technology, but space. Like you need a large, you need to book a large enough space for you and your friends to be in. And, and that's what these these huge landmark spaces will be. So that that might be a future as well. But I, whatever it is, like location-based, I think is a smart choice. And it's going to be not just introductions for, for, for the mainstream to high-end VR or positional VR. Um, it's it's going to stay as a potentially lucrative business where, you, you know, like theaters, you can release limited releases. We're probably a bit w- a ways from that, but I, I won't be surprised if that's like the strategy that IMAX is going for, for one. Are we kind of like in a situation where for many years, I think for decades, you had audiophiles, music lovers who had like these elaborate home stereo setups. And then finally, when we got MP3 players and then the iPod, Suddenly, you began to see those, you know, systems disappear from most traditional homes. Like, do you think that's kind of like a good comparison? Am I off there? Like, because I, I mean, it seems a little like the more I get into this and I'm, you know, heavily tech. And I know that when I say, OK, it's time, like I'm ready to go into VR. I want to do this. It's a little bit of a heavy lift. I have to, like, you know, set things up and kind of like, right. you know, it's it's not a huge hassle, but you know, and I'm a tech guy. And so it's starting to, I'm starting to wonder if this is not something that will ever like a home setup that will ever catch on. And maybe it'll, it will just all be VR cafes, VR spas, by the way, looked it up, not available. Just oh, bummer. Uh, is the home setup kind of like this just transitional phase or not necessarily. I just want to add that. Like, for example, when you have your own personal mobile headset, um, you'll probably be using it at home, but you probably also want to go outside and use it with your friends in a space that's bigger than your home, potentially. It might be that, you know, there'll be a, you still have the early adopters who will always have like huge giant setups the way you have audio files now who will never part with their receivers, you know, the huge receivers and like 7.1 surround speakers, right? Like like that that will always be around. But I think for the mainstream, I think it will get smaller. You will use it at home. Um, and you might use it outside. Yeah, I think that David's right. Like the headsets will get lighter, smaller, and inside-out tracking will get to a place where, or 
you know, people will get con- comfortable with the idea of installing uh, Vive uh, or equivalent uh, trackers throughout their home the way they install, like, security systems. But uh, there'll be a, a way to basically track your position in your home. If you imagine that augmented reality or mixed reality headsets are going to support the idea of walking around your, your entire house, like, why wouldn't VR? So as those things converge, you know, I think that you'll have a headset that's uh, tetherless and, uh, you know, comfortable to wear and actually adds value that it's like worth wearing inside your house for some portion of the day. I say whether that's for entertainment or other things, you know. You're betting on VR arcades or home setups for the next, let's say, two to three years. For the next two to three years, I would say VR cafes. Uh, <laughs> Sorry about that. Sure. Yes, VR right? cafes, like, my bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think in the near term, like, uh, the home market will grow. I just don't see it growing fast enough to, or in a wide enough way that, you know, it's, I don't see it becoming a we, right? Where like families are buying these things uh, for Christmas in large quantities. Okay, can, can I can I split my stock bet? Can I say 60-40? Can I like sort of like have my bets in two No, places? you can't. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> not, no, come on, man, come on. Come on, guys. To wrap up, you know, yeah. um, to give the people what they want, on the Mars Magazine podcast, we always add a little bit of sci-fi. So I want to kind of get everybody to mention kind of like their all-time favorite virtual reality film, you know, past, present uh, just oh, something that no. not, not not a documentary, but like a, a piece of science fiction that kind of represented uh, at least what you thought was the coolest uh, vision of VR or what you thought it really might, you know, become, you know, just just something that really st- st- uh, stayed with you. The, the one I can't forget is the one that not many people know. It's called 13, the 13th Floor. Have you guys heard of it? Oh, yes. I saw it. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Thank you. So that came out, I think, a, a year, the same year as or the year before The Matrix. I can't remember. I, think, but, I can't remember. Yeah, but it was right around the same time. It's right around the same time. Like, it's so funny. Like, that came out, Matrix came out, and, and Existence came out as well. So they all, like, were about the same thing about, like, artificial realities. But the thing is that, like, so I love The Matrix as well. I just want to say The Matrix because it's, like, it's, it's such a, you know, I want to be a hipster about it. Um, the 13th Floor. I knew you would be. The thirteenth yeah, floor is very hipster, man. That's extreme. Like, good that, God, are really, you like? Does that really? David has just has just revealed I'm, his personality to the world. Uh, I'm, 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 a, I'm a total hipster. Um, no, no, no. The thirteenth floor was was amazing for me in a way that Matrix wasn't um, because it was it was so film noir esque. Like, I think. Okay, so two things I can remember. It's it's been a long time. First thing is it was a it was like a murder mystery. It started out as a murder mystery, um, set in the '90s, and then they had to they had to solve it by going into this film noir esque world set in I think the '30s, which was very like prohibition esque. I think I'm remembering it right. And then and then what was and this is spoiler alert, but what is eventually? Um, wait, Rob, have you seen it? Am I spoiling it for you? You know, I actually don't know if I've seen this film. Oh so, shit. yes, you are spoiling oh, it for me. Crap. But go ahead and spoil it for me, you jerk. Uh, uh, Rob, Rob. Uh, no, no disrespect, David. Uh, you, you're not missing much there, Rob. So just, just oh, say it's not, yeah, not, not, yeah. not not the greatest film in my opinion. But sorry, not please continue. Film, but again, I'm going like memorable because I think what it did for me um, at that age was that it toyed around with like representations of players, right? So one of the twists in, in the experience uh, in the sorry in, in the film, this is an actual film, um, was that you soon realized that people were not who they seemed. Because they were being played by other people, even though you recognize them as the person. So, for example, like what I think the main protagonist there was there was a girl that was his partner, and at times she was actually being played by different people. 
but you don't you as the viewer didn't realize that so for me like I, I, my young mind back then i was like whoa it's it's like mind-blowing and that's why i remember it now granted it's not a spectacular film but for some reason i really really enjoyed it like it had all the tropes i loved um i i love film noir i love mysteries and 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 and, and i just i just bought into it there you go. You can judge me now, Dario. Okay, Rob? All the judgments. I mean, I think, you know, am I going to be too mainstream if I say The Matrix? No. <laughs> you can say whatever you uh, want. Totally. totally. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, I think The Matrix was, was big for me uh, just in terms of I, I was also a philosophy major. So the whole idea of, like, is the world real <laughs> that we're in today? Not to get into some Elon Musk stuff here, but uh, – um, I think that the Matrix is just an, it's like a grid story, right? And it's not what I would consider virtual reality, but I guess you can look at it that way. So, so yeah, I mean, I don't have a specific, you know, reason why, other than like I like that movie. But yeah, in terms of a, a story that in, incorporates VR in some sense, I'd say the Matrix. Second choice would be Total Recall because I love Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. Oh man, that's true. That's so good. That's uh, a good, yeah. good choice. Uh, <laughs> Get out of here. Yes. Get, the Get, the Get out. Okay, so yeah. my pick, I'm going to be half hipster, and right. I'm going to say The Matrix Reloaded. Oh, oh so, nice. Okay, so now nice people all, often, they you know, they say, oh, yeah, I like The Matrix, but not the sequels. Not the sequels. They're always quick to like, you know, <laughs> you know I have taste, not the sequels. I disagree. I think Matrix Revolutions was yeah, a bridge yeah. too far. Like, they had clearly lost their mojo by then. But I'm sorry. Like, okay, so the original Matrix blew my mind. I, at one point, I watched it one to two times a year. Like, like religion. <laughs> Seriously. I just, I mean, I, that book, uh, what was it? Um, Baudrillard, um, Simulacra and Simulacra and Simulacra. Yeah. I found out about that book from that film. I then got into Baudrillard's philosophy. Like it just sent me down this whole philosophy, you know, road. Yeah. You know, the original Matrix, amazing. The yeah. reason why I like reload it as something that gets me excited about what's going on right now is I feel like by the time Reloaded happened, the Wachowskis had figured out what worked with this universe and what was cool mm -hmm. about it. But they hadn't gotten so, you know, there was there was very little Jada Pinkett, you know, <laughs> you know, just not. I mean, come on, man, she didn't need <laughs> to be in that film. Yeah, she just didn't need to be in that film. There was not, not much Jada Pinkett, and there was there was, you know, I think it was the last one that had the uh, the giant rave scene. I, I just feel like the last one just got really silly. It the, 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 the Reloaded had the Merovingian who was kind of like Oh, this, that's so good. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he was kind of like this Satan's figure. And then and the twins. Of, yeah, yeah. Like, the twins were amazing as just an idea. And people seem to forget that there were little bits of lore revealed mm. in in like as the story unfolded. Um the Merovingian's wife, I can't remember her name, she's a super famous Monica Bellucci. Bellucci. She's Monica so Bellucci. pretty. I had such yes. a crush on her back then. That's so, so good. Yeah, so she went she there's one part where she's about to help our heroes and I can't remember how it plays out, but basically she reveals that one of the earlier versions of the Matrix had like werewolves and vampires and I'm like, yeah. "Wait, what?" This is amazing. <laughs> and so I have, you know, my imagination goes everywhere, so I'm immediately thinking Oh, wow. So there was like a Matrix, let's say Matrix 2.5 or 3, 
where you had werewolves, vampires, wizards. And now this is just the latest iteration we're seeing. I just feel like the execution of Reloaded in terms of cool and making it look like a true kind of like, this is reality, but reality, if you could, if it was code, if it, if it was, if it could, if you could play with the edges and, and morph things, um, the battle scene or the fight scene in the Merovingian, Merovingian's uh, living room, you know, where, you know, Neo is, you know, running on walls. And I mean, all that stuff, it was just the, like you said, the, the ghost brothers, the twins, the, that whole highway sequence, you know, so as an action film, but just also as VR, it just made me think of if you could. Like the the original Matrix to me was about discovery of self and of, you know, like of a different reality. But Reloaded was like, okay, we know the rules now. Let's play. And Mm -hmm. I just I just think of like when I put on my VR headset, that's what I want. I want to feel like I'm in Reloaded. You know, I can do the things that are in real. I can dodge like I'm in Robo Recall and I can grab these bullets and throw them back at you. Yeah. Dodge them. You know, I mean, it's you know, so that's that's why, you know, I could come up with something a little classier or more obscure i know a lot of film big film head but i just you know have to be true no man i mean i'm I'm totally behind you as well i i think reloaded is my favorite matrix film as much as i love the first wow. one and I, wow it really it really is wow, it, no 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 it really is <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how, how i feel about this conversation hey hey matrix is good like it's, yes. it's very it's very like him. it's very like hero's journey man like it's like oh you know like this is like he does this it does this apotheosis at the end the architect reload yeah the architect i mean the architect he was in all three movies wasn't he no he came, no, he was in two well he came up in two yeah. and i feel like his two. speech was in reloaded yeah you yeah. first see him in reloaded his big yes. his big flowery speech you know yes is, uh, in reloaded i believe i was about to say like reloaded was the, was the only film versus the matrix that actually made me write like you know, like before there was medium, I wrote like a long blog post on why this is so amazing. How how far do you guys think we are from that kind of indistinguishable from reality version uh, that the Matrix presented in VR? I mean, I don't know. I think we're pretty far away, right? I think there's like lots of details. Like we What's can't pretty even. Far? Well, we can't even, uh, you know, recreate humans in a photorealistic way for film that is not. Uh, uncanny to at least some people mm-hmm. right like i don't know if you guys i mean i'm assuming everyone here has seen rogue one by i now. have yes uh Horrible. yeah I, I have a serious not serious the film problem not the film the, the effects yeah i know what you're talking about yeah and i have a serious problem with the cg there and it's like if we can't even do that on 2d screens like how are we going to recreate a photorealistic world so Funnily enough, like on, just on this topic, um, Logan, if you, if we, so we, we haven't watched it yet, Rob, but we should watch it. But I've heard from friends, like a lot of the, a lot of the characters in Logan are actually CG because they're, uh, spoiler alert, they're, they're going to be like body doubles. I mean, in every film, they're going to be do- body doubles, but they said, so, so they, they revealed that a lot of them was CG and they actually got away with um, making it look really real. I haven't seen it yet. I just read this from an article. But I'm very curious now. I don't know. Whenever I think of like body doubles as CG, I think of like the Harry Potter films and how not human the Harry on a on a broom looked. I just I can't 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 do it. So so, so but what's <laughs> long? Like when you say not for a long time, what do you, is that? Five years, twenty years, fifty years? I don't know. I don't know. I feel like it's like these. There's these like again coming back to just representing humans. I think is the hardest part, and we've been trying to solve that problem since. Like the Final Fantasy movie back in the nine was that nineties late that was in nineties but that that wasn't they weren't trying to represent humans they're trying to represent like at least some anatomically 
representational humans. I remember when that film don't, came out. Stylized. When, that film came, when that film came out, it was you know like the headlines were all about how you know they were trying to cross the uh, uncanny valley, you know, uncanny valley, and how yeah, they like succeeded in some ways. They had like dead eyes. All the people, all the characters in the movie had dead eyes. And so, like, I think we get these like progressive iterations there, but it feels like the, it's like the last 1% of getting that right is going to take us 100 years, maybe. Hmm. Right? It's like a, it's like a, uh, is it like a logarithmic type thing where it's like curving up towards the end and it just goes to infinity? So who knows? Like, when we, when we crack that nut. Right. Um, And until, until we can do that, how can we recreate reality if we can't recreate people? You're absolutely right. So for completely representational reality, one to one in hours, it might be it might be 50 years, it might be 100 years. We don't know. Um, I, 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 you know, I see Rob's point there. But what I'll further add is that, you know, like, I don't think we're far at all from a reality that we will be happy to be in. If that makes sense. Like, maybe we don't need one to one reality to to reach a certain amount of enjoyment and fulfillment and satisfaction. Well, it might be everyone wears, yeah. everyone exactly. wears masks. Everyone, everyone wears, wears masks. masks or everyone's, yeah, everyone's in some weird, like, uh, Oculus social style avatar. Who knows? Like, I, you know, I think we're close to that. That We're talking maybe three, four years. But one-to-one. Close to what? When you say that, what do you mean by that? Um, a reality that you can be happy being in. So, so maybe big. Grand Theft Auto level? Maybe. Maybe. And like you wouldn't like, so maybe like the, the characters will be stylized. Maybe avatars will not be human, mm. but you wouldn't mind. You put that aside because body tracking, one-to-one, uh, face tracking, eye tracking is all there. Everyone's expressive. Everyone, not necessarily human, but they're expressive. And, and you could be okay with that. I have a feeling people will be more forgiving. Um, this is like living in a Dick Tracy world, like the uh, Dick Tracy film with uh, Warren Beatty <laughs> from the 80s, I want to say. That's early early 90s i think but we, I we all got like rub, rubber faces yep i'm gonna make a call and this is yes. i'm gonna make some controversial calls here mm-hmm. i'm gonna two calls five years for rudimentary uh acceptable maybe not one-to-one with expressions and and you know flawless movement and and just it actually looks like reality um, but five years for an approximation of reality, meaning there's some uncanny valley action going on, but it's so, but because of the immersion and all of the other, you know, senses engaged, the haptics, they'll, I'm sure haptics will have come some ways within five years. We're already the, even like little subwoofer vest, uh, from Subpack has gone, you know, has done a lot for me and my experiences. I think. All of that combined will make you because, again, like I said, with Rec Room, those are like children's drawings, essentially Mm -hmm. running around. And the experience is amazing. So you just scale that up to maybe a couple of steps beyond uh, Grand Theft Auto. It may not look exactly like reality, but I think it'll be serviceable. So I say five years for that. Mm-hmm. And I'll go for matrix level, meaning I can see the, th- the the tiny strands of your hair blowing in the wind, and I and and I'll have dreams later, thinking, wait, th- was that reality? Did I see that in reality, or was that VR? Like I'll forget. I'll say twenty. I don't think it's going to be as long as fifty or a hundred. I'll say twenty, because mm-hmm. I just think think about the iPhone. And I hate to. You know, I just said we shouldn't compare stuff to the iPhone, <laughs> but and here I we mean, go. Just yep. think about. You know, that was 2007. Think about just people have such short memories of a time before the iPhone. And now we're irritated 
if the colors aren't just right, if the animations don't move quick enough, if the, you know, the, the, the uh, touch responses aren't, you know, responsive enough. It, it's only been, what, 10 years? Come on, that's mm-hmm. 10 mm-hmm. years. Hopefully we're all around and the planet is around for us to all see this. Um, But before I forget, um, when I said, by the way, when I said Reloaded, that was my optimistic, fun pick. Uh, If Uh, I may be allowed, uh my my dark pick, which is a film I think everyone should see, is The Congress. Have you guys seen this? No. I have not. Okay, I'm forgetting her name. Um, The woman who's in a game, um, oh God, the political thriller on Netflix, um, House of Cards. Uh, Robin Wright. Uh, Robin Robin Wright. Yeah. Robin, Robin Wright, Wright is the star of the Congress, and it basically I'm not going to spoil anything, but it basically shows you a reality in which it's very close to what's happening now. It's in her world. She's actually in this film. She's actually Robin Wright, the actress. And we've moved forward in, into the future at a time where actors are being scanned and they no hmm. longer are needed to actually act. They just take this scan of the actors and put them in whatever film they want, and they have these actors as puppets, and they do whatever they want, but they look like the real person. And so Robin Wright is at the end of her career. She, this is the last time she has the availability to get scanned because now she's you know, starting to age. This is according to you know, the film. I believe that was how it went. And there is a community where people go to kind of basically just divorce themselves re- from reality, and it's a virtual hmm. reality community. And once you get hmm. in there... People are rendered in all you have Disney rendered characters, you have Picasso rendered characters, you have like really detailed um, Michelangelo, you know, you know, drawn characters. It's all animation. Like the film is half real life, half animation. And then and then it goes back to real life. It's fascinating, but it's kind of dark. Um, but it sounds it, like it, a Black Mirror episode. It oh, does. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. So, yeah. So that would be my dark film pick for virtual reality that i highly suggest everyone go check out the congress you guys is there anything as we wrap up anything you guys want to mention at your uh events stuff we should be on the lookout for or anything just you wanted to add yeah i mean i just say that we're you know going to be at uh south by southwest next week with uh two of our projects that you know hopefully we'll be releasing more widely in the very near future so chocolate which was at sundance and the melody of dust which is going to be uh premiering, premiering. Uh, at well, guys, thanks for uh, being on again. That It was David Liu and Rob Ruffler, both from Viacom's uh, VR unit, uh, leading the charge. And uh, this has been the Mars Magazine podcast. My name is Adario Strange. You can check out older episodes of the show on Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. And you can also check us out on Twitter at Mars Magazine. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, we will see you in the future.